Well, it's good to be with all of you this evening. My name's Pastor Joseph Bianco. It's, uh, I'm glad that you are here. I want to welcome particularly those of you that are new. Um, so if you haven't been to this service before, this is our evening service. Uh, we have a morning service that's in a different location. And if you'd like to learn the history of that, um, then you can listen to Matt's sermon this morning because supposedly it is locked away in the cornerstone of this wall. Um, thank you. Uh, all right, we've been preaching through Second uh, Peter, and we are now on to chapter 2. So let me get my sermon that I left down there. Sorry, hold on. All right, let me um, read this word, and then our response will be thanks be to God. Second Peter chapter 2, page 6. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their own destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, this may not be the text that we would choose to come to on our own. Uh, Lord, but you by your providence have brought us here. Lord, thank you uh, for your word, for the whole uh, counsel of scripture. And thank you, Father, for this passage. Lord, would you give us soft hearts that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak slow to anger, or that we would receive this word 
that it would change our lives. Father, would you use even my weak words, Lord, for your glory? Would you strengthen me that I would preach this with conviction and empower by the work of your Spirit? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I, I almost titled this sermon Fake News. But I thought better of it. Because it's a bit too hot right now. Um, so I restrained myself. But I did think it would be a good sermon illustration. So here we go. The term fake news uh, is a buzzword in our culture. If you haven't heard that before. Um, if you study it, you'll find that fake news is a concern on the left and the right. So I'm making no political statement as I use this illustration. Um, so for this reason, websites have actually been devoted... Uh, to finding out fake news. So if you've ever used, for example, snoops.com, you can just go take the article or the website in question, put it in, and see if it has legitimate sources or not. Um, Let's get a little bit bigger here. How about academia, right? We have academics in this room. Uh, You always have to do those pesky bibliographies, right? Why? Why do they make you do the bibliography? And the answer is because we want to know that you're not making stuff up, that you're getting this from legitimate sources. Here's the interesting thing. Why are fake websites, fake articles, fake video clips so intriguing to us? Why is it a problem? Because mankind, all of us, have itching ears. We love to hear the latest thing or the latest gossip or the article, even if it is not true. Even if it's not true. We love drama. We don't want just the headline in the news to say, Senator slightly misspeaks. We want it to say, Senator's words broke the internet. That's what we want. There's an allure to false teaching that no person, and I include myself in this, is immune to. So Peter is writing these early Christian exiles to warn them to be discerning. To be discerning. To not believe everything they hear. To be able to recognize a false teacher when they see or hear one. Peter calls us in the passage to know the way of truth. The way of truth. In the early years of the church, Christianity was called the way. The way, by definition implies one truth, one way, one path to God. So I want us to look at the way to truth, first by perceiving that false teaching actually does exist. Second, I want us to be able to recognize false teachers. And then third, to learn how we can be rescued. So let's look at our first point, perceiving false teachers exist. So the first thing Peter wants us to see in this passage is that false teachers and false teaching exists. Now, you might be thinking, Joseph, that is obvious. You don't need to have an entire point on that. But I would argue it's not as obvious as you you think it is. You see, Peter is really continuing an argument from last week's sermon where where Dave uh, made this point at the end that if God really exists... And God really gave to us his very word, the Bible, then that word is a big deal. It's a big deal. And we should take it seriously. And he's right. If God really spoke to us, 
and we actually, and actually had men write down his words for us to know, then we have to take that word seriously. Now, I want to think through some implications of a God who would write down words for his people to know. So first, God is not going to lie to you. He's not going to lie to you. His word is going to be true. Why? Well, first, he tells us in his word that his word is true. You remember Jesus in the high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus says, your word is truth. Here in the text, verse 2, Christianity is called the way of truth. In fact, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you'll see the idea and the concept of truth comes up consistently from Genesis to Revelation. God really is concerned that we would know what is true. Second, if God is concerned with us knowing truth, he is also concerned with lies and false teaching. Verse 1, there will be false teachers among you who will bring in destructive heresies. Why is God concerned with false teaching, with lies? Because it is destructive. It's destructive. So look, please, even if you're not a Christian in the room, you must agree that all ideas are not equal in power. All ideas are not equal in power. Some are more destructive than others. My idea to go to a fast food restaurant is very different than the idea that someone who in great power might have to control a society. For Christianity, Peter calls these ideas heresies. If you're unfamiliar with that word, heresy means an idea so divergent from the center of Christianity that it can cause great damage. Great damage. Now, here is why I said that false teaching exists is not so obvious. The temptation to follow ideas is alluring, and that allure is tremendous. It's tremendous. The temptation to follow what is hot, what is trending, what is loud, is tremendous. We don't like to think of ourselves as a moth to a porch light. We like to think we're more evolved than that. But the truth is, when it comes to these things, do not underestimate the allure that is present. When it comes to the newest psychology, the latest idea, the hottest voice, we are. There's a guy trending recently, I'm intentionally leaving out this name because I don't think he's helpful. But he was trending, and what he would do is speak about Christian ideas through the lens of psychology, giving Christian principles without actually believing himself in Christ, completely rejecting the historical Jesus, then just taking the ideas and presenting them. Now, am I saying that it is wrong to hear ideas, to consider arguments, to be thoughtful about why we believe what we believe. Of course I'm not saying that. Of course it's not wrong to study and read and think. In fact, I would argue we must. We have to do those things. It's not wrong for me to study and to listen what this guy is saying, to understand this, these arguments he's making about Christianity and psychology, for example, so I'm aware of 
this in society. When I took my ordination exams, I actually had pages of secular and non-Christian religion and philosophy questions I had to answer about completely other things than Christianity. They wanted me to define them because it's important for me to be able to understand these topics. I don't think Peter is telling us to stick our heads in the sand here and to cover our ears. So if he's not saying that, what is he saying? One, he is saying you must believe there is such a thing as truth. You must believe there is such a thing as truth. And you know what? In today's time, this is not a given. That there really is truth, a reason, reasoning, a logos, a word that can explain the meaning of life. The reason why we're here, the evil in the world, a hope that will make that evil right. Do you believe that there is such a thing as truth? Second, if you believe that, if you call yourself a Christian and you believe the Bible, do you believe that to remain in that truth requires great discernment? Great discernment. You see, we like to think of ourselves as these rational creatures where we put ourselves in the place of God and we we sit on our throne and we tell God, this is how you should do things. Let my rational intellect guide and direct you. This is how you should run things. And meanwhile, let me ask you this question, you who judge God. Where are you getting your ideas? Where are they coming from? I will tell you, Most of it happens subconsciously. We get it from KDKA and CNN and Fox News and Hollywood. Just pause a moment on Hollywood. Do you really want to get the meaning of life from the latest Marvel comic superhero movie? Is that where you want to derive meaning? Podcasts. Two dudes giving their opinion sitting in a room. Music. I see this one all the time. This song tells me that life is a dance and you learn as you go. Sometimes you lead and sometimes you follow. Now, what am I saying? Some of these things can be true. You can have truth in the news and podcasts. And it's not untrue that life is a dance. You do learn as you go. However, what does Proverbs tell us about learning? You can actually learn first and then go. That's a way of doing life, so you don't have to make all the mistakes. So I need to challenge us here. If you're a Christian, what kind of things do you fill your ears with? Again, I'm not saying do not engage in culture. But if you call yourself a Christian and your primary beliefs come from self-help books or podcasts or songs rather than the Word of God, then you are sitting under false teachers. And if you're not a Christian... Can we at least agree that you are not as objective as you think? Where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get your beliefs from? The news, the movies, the TV, the advertisements, maybe family traditions. Maybe you're more sophisticated. Maybe you get your ideas from the humanities classes you took in college. Please do not be quick to discount this ancient, reliable word. A word that has been around for millennia. 
a word that is relevant still today. You will find no book more relevant than the Word of God to your life. So I'm going to continue to follow Peter's argument for following truth. And he moves uh, from the existence of false teachers to what they look like. And here you'll begin to see the, the tree and its fruit. This is identifying false teachers. This is my second point. Peter goes and explains what these false teachers look like. Verses 1 to 3 and then verses 10b to 16. So let me just quickly summarize for you what he says these people look like. So first, they deny Jesus. Verse 1, the master who bought them. Peter is not saying that these people are losing their salvation. Rather, I want you to think back to the, the parable Jesus told about the seed that is cast on the ground. Some of that seed, remember, falls on the path and it immediately is taken away by the birds. Some gets on rocky soil and it springs up at first, but then it gets choked out and dies. And some falls on good soil and it produces a hundredfold. So in this case, we would see these false teachers as being people that would spring up they seem like they have genuine faith. They seem to believe in Christ and then they deny Christ as Lord. The seed was never planted in good soil. Second, verse 2, they follow their sensuality. Now, this is repeated multiple times in this passage. Verse 2, verse 7, verse 10, verse 13, verse 14. Now, sensuality here can be related to sexual promiscuity, but sensuality in the Bible can also mean people that are ruled by their senses, like taste, touch, feel, sight. False teachers cannot control themselves. Third, false teachers are greedy. This is verses 3 and 14. In the example of Balaam and the donkey is the one we're given for greed. So remember the story that Balaam was a false prophet of God um, who was rebuked by the mouth of a donkey because of his greed. False teachers are greedy and they are teaching for their own gain. Fourth, false teachers entice you. They entice you. Verse 14, they entice unsteady souls. They want to bring you in. in verse 3, exploit you with false words. I think we can think of many examples where we have seen False teachers enticing people. Fifthly, verse 10, part B. False teachers do not tremble. They are bold and willful. Glorious ones here most likely refers to other angelic beings. The idea being that even fallen angels uh, who are greater in might and power are not as blasphemous as these false teachers. So if we summarize all of what Peter is telling us here, how could we summarize a false teacher? If I was to say it in one word, I would say character. They lack character. So if you've ever read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, you'll be convinced that Americans no longer care about someone's character. We don't care about character anymore. So in this book, Susan Cain outlines a great observable change that has happened in the history of America. Around the turn of the century, she would characterize Americans as buying into the cult of character. And what she means by this is that Americans used to primarily be concerned with the character of their leaders. 
Are they good people? Are they moral? Do they hold good values? How do they act? How do they treat people? So if we think back in history, Abraham Lincoln was a great example of a man with a lot of character. She goes on to observe that when television began to come out, when Hollywood began to explode, so you think Hollywood doesn't have that much of an effect on us. I'm about to show you it does. She called this change in America the cult of personality. The cult of personality. People began to be won over by personality rather than character because they would see the people on the TV. There wasn't a relationship. They couldn't ask questions. People began to be won over by celebrities. We began to idolize celebrities. Is this beginning to sound familiar? People began to listen to people with the loudest voice, not the softest. So have you ever wondered why... Americans idolize celebrities. Or is that just a given for you? When you step back and you think about it, why would you idolize a celebrity? If you're going to choose somebody to idolize, why a celebrity? Besides looking good and acting well. Why do we listen to celebrities talk on moral issues? Why do we listen to celebrities talk about issues of humanity and right and wrong and justice. What on earth gives them the degree to be able to talk on these things? Where do they get their credentials? I am convinced by her argument we have changed in America. We idolize the cult of personality. So please hear me on this. A false teacher, a false teacher has very little character in a lot of personality. If I was to summarize this whole passage, that's what I say Peter is getting across. If you want to recognize a false teacher, they have very little character and a lot of personality. Do the people you look up to in your life have character or personality? Which is it? That's what Peter's trying to get us to see here. You know a tree by its fruit. Jesus said a very similar thing. So this seems simple, but again, we get advice from People Magazine and Cosmopolitan. That's what false teaching looks like maybe in a, a, a meta scale. But what does it look like in the church? Well, it's a question of authority. Peter says, verse 10, these people despise authority. I want to look at that for a second. Where does the church, let me ask you, where does the church get its authority from? Does the church get its authority from men? From the state? How about popular vote? Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. And if Jesus, John tells us, is the word made flesh, then that word holds authority over the church. We call this kind of authority... Orthodoxy. And here's what that means. The orthodoxy of the church is the degree to which the church adheres to the authority of the word and the authority of Jesus. A church that puts herself under this kind of authority has what we would call orthodox beliefs. Now, I don't want you to get this confused 
with denominations that have the word orthodox in their name, like Orthodox Presbyterian or Eastern Orthodox. I realize that can be confusing, but I am using it in the theological sense here of adhering to God's Word and God's Son. Now, this is why, by the way, our church, City of Reform, can say that there are many good churches in the city of Pittsburgh. We are not the only good and orthodox church in the city of Pittsburgh. We might have differences with other Christian denominations, but we would not call them unorthodox. Now, to press it a little further, almost every denomination, whether it's Presbyterian or Methodist or um, Lutheran or any denomination, almost always has a far left and a far right wing version of that denomination. Why? We would call those sides unorthodox. Why? Because they have followed the personality of the day over the word of God. What about TV evangelists? Prosperity gospel preachers? Pop Christian book authors? Same thing. Either they're in it for greed or personal gain, or they are following the personality of the day rather than the word of God. So why am I telling you this? Largely because I recognize that many of you in this church are not going to be buried in this church. You're going to move on in life, wherever life takes you, and you're going to most likely go to another church. And you need to be aware that just because it says church on the sign out front does not mean that it is an orthodox church. It is a good church. I want you to be careful and I want you to be discerning about the churches that you attend. Can they affirm the central beliefs that Christianity has affirmed down the millennia? The virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Christ, faith and repentance, the atonement, the authority of God's word, eternal life, and eternal death. If they cannot affirm these things, please beware, be discerning. Now, maybe you're new to Christianity and all of this sounds like a lot I believe this is actually why Peter turns to rescue in our passage. And on the one hand, you need to know something in order to be a Christian. You need to know something about Jesus. But on the other hand, you cannot know everything. So at the end of the day, what we need is rescued. I want to look at that now. This is my third point. Peter gives three stories of God rescuing righteous people and condemning the ungodly. The whole paragraph in Greek is actually uh, one sentence. You can see it in your translation. You see the if in verse 4, and then the then in verse 9. In the Greek, that paragraph is one giant if-then sentence. The point of each example is that God is the one who saves the righteous and condemns evil. God is the one who saves the righteous and condemns evil. The question for us is how is Peter connecting these stories to this idea, this theme throughout the passage of false teaching? And the answer is a simple one. While we are called to recognize false teachers, God is the one who will deliver us from them. I want you to look uh, at Lot, for example. So Lot, surrounded um, by an evil city of Sodom and Gomorrah, God is the one... Who rescues him? Noah, surrounded by a world where the text says in Genesis, people only did evil continuously. God rescues him. 
the angels, by condemning the evil ones, God rescues the good. Now let me ask you a question. These examples Peter gives, did God rescue these people because they knew enough facts about God? Did God rescue them because they passed their theology final? No, of course not. He did not look at Lot and say, Lot, here's the exam. If you pass and you know the right things, I will rescue you from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Same with Noah. He didn't give him an exam. The text says that these men were godly and righteous. Noah, he calls a herald of righteousness, and righteous Lot is repeated multiple times. So what made these men godly? You know, if you go back and you actually read these stories, Lot and Noah did some unrighteous things. They weren't perfect men. Lot basically had to get pulled out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. The text says he lingered. And then Noah got drunk. So why does Peter call them righteous? Why are they examples? You see, I am sure that Noah and Lot both knew things about God. But I'll tell you what, they did not memorize the Westminster Confession of Faith. In fact, they wouldn't have had the New Testament. In fact, they wouldn't have had almost all of the Old Testament. What book are they written in? Remember, they're written in Genesis, the first book. So, what made them righteous? Not just that they knew God, but that, or knew about God, but that they actually knew God. They were righteous because they belonged to God, because they were part of His people, because they loved God, not because they were perfect. So how are they examples to us? Because just knowing things about God is not enough. Right teaching is not the antidote to wrong teaching. Right teaching is not the antidote to wrong teaching. You know, Peter could have just said that. I find it very strange that he didn't. He could have said, beware of false teachers, make sure that you know all the right teaching. He didn't. In fact, what he says is, know that God will rescue you. God will rescue you. You see, Christianity is not an exam to be passed. Christianity is knowing the living God. And the way we know Him is through Jesus Christ who rescues us. Jesus who saves us. You see, in order to know God, in order to follow the way of truth, you first have to be rescued from darkness. No Christian comes to Christianity knowing everything first. You believe because you encounter the living God and then you spend the rest of your life Learning, who is this majestic spirit who saved my soul? That's why Peter is concerned with false teaching, because we all have so much more to learn about who God really is. Who He really says He is. And He does not want you to be led astray into believing something that is not true of who the God of the universe says He is. You see, in the one hand, theology, which just means the study of knowing God. In the one hand, in one sense, it is a science. 
No other religion can come close to Christianity in comparison. If you want to make up a religion, you make it easy and you make it simple and you have all the answers to people's questions. Christianity, you spend your whole life uncovering the beauty and the glory of the God of the Bible. That's why older Christians will tell you that they could read the same passage a hundred times and they will learn something new in God's Word. So on the one hand, theology is a science. You can study and you can read volumes, but on the other hand, Christianity is not just a book. It's not just an idea. It is a word made flesh. To know Jesus is to know his character and to fall in love with him. Do you realize that the way you recognize a false teacher is the same test to see if Jesus is a true teacher? Jesus is the exact opposite of everything that Peter lists in this passage. A false teacher is sensual and given to passion and lust. Not only did Jesus control himself, he never sinned. A false teacher is bold and prideful and does not tremble at God's word. Jesus was humble. He called the children to him. He was born in poverty. He died in a garbage dump. A false teacher is greedy. and He's in it for selfish gain. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he gave everything he had for you. He gave his body. He gave his blood, his very life, because he loved you. And he charges you nothing for eternal life. In fact, he makes the payment on your behalf. How do you know that Jesus is true? It's not just knowing things about Jesus, though Peter says that is important. It's good to know the Westminster Confession of Faith. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the way we know Christ is his rescue, it's salvation, it's being saved. If you know the saving power of Jesus, if you know the rescue of God, then even if your feet slip, he will hold you fast. Do you know him? Do you know the saving power of God in the character, in the person of Jesus Christ? Do you see his character? And do you fall in love with him? The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. If you do not know him, This is an invitation to know the God of the universe, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that He is true, and He is trustworthy. I simply ask you to ask in prayer in your hearts for Jesus to rescue you. Let's pray.